Let's start with prayer. Father, Father, thank you for this technology that allows us to connect even in this way. Um, and I thank you that even with the crash, we're back and we're praying with each other and hearing your word and praising you. Help us now to hear your word. Help me to preach it, to share it. Help us by the Holy Spirit and by these words of scripture to be connected to Palm Sunday, this thing that happened so long ago. But you can bring it near and you can help us know it from the inside out. Help us, Father, do that. Help us do that. In Jesus. Amen. Well, have you, have, you, have you noticed, have you felt the surprising reversals I mentioned earlier in this liturgy, in the songs we're even singing? So you have one moment, people waving palm branches and singing hosannas, and the next moment crying, crucify him. We've got the, the king of kings coming into his city, not with pomp or on a war horse, but in humility and riding on a donkey of peace. And he doesn't make his way to a golden throne or receive a golden crown, but again, as our liturgy said, he makes his way to a wooden cross and receives a crown of thorns. So this is Palm Sunday. This is Holy Week, a day and a week of surprises, of reversals, of surprising reversals. So at the very beginning of the readings today, during the triumphal entry in the Gospel of Matthew, we heard a lot of excitement. There are crowds shouting scripture, a city all stirred up, people laying down their cloaks and uh, for Jesus to ride on and palm branches. Now, Matthew doesn't mention that they're palm branches, but John's version does. And during this time, palm branches symbolized triumph, victory, and primarily through military might. And the Jews, they got this, they understood this, because about 200 years before Jesus walked the earth, you had Judas Maccabeus have a military uh, victory. He, he began a revolt that defeated these pagan invaders and cleansed the temple. And then his followers, what they did is they entered the city waving palm branches in celebration. So this is the origin of Hanukkah. Therefore, when the people in our gospel story take palm branches and they put them on the road and they call Jesus son of David, they're in effect saying, here's God's long-awaited king, his anointed Messiah, who probably, just like Judas Maccabeus, will deliver us from our enemies and finally make everything right. But this king is a different kind of king, right? He redefines and reverses the meanings of our, simple, our symbols and the way we conquer. So Jesus chose, again, deliberately not to ride in on a war horse, an impressive war horse. Rather, he chose to ride in on a humble donkey. 
So at this time, to ride on a donkey meant you're symbolizing, you're trying to get across, I'm coming in humility. I'm coming in peace, to promote peace. <clears throat> so Matthew, in highlighting this, he highlights a scripture that he says is being now fulfilled, accomplished, brought to completion. And the Old Testament passage he quotes is Zechariah chapter 9. And this is the passage he quotes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in your translation, it might say gentle or humble, but when you go back to the Hebrew in the Old Testament passage, it is humble. And the connotations are, are similar anyway. But if you were a Jew and you heard this scripture and you knew your scriptures, you know what would come next, which is this. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. The chariot was a, uh, a war, um, a thing of war. And the horse from Jerusalem. These are things you use in war. And the bow of war will be cut off, it says. And he will speak peace, that is shalom, that is the way things should be. Not just the absence of war, but all things made right. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So this king not only rejects the war horse by riding on a donkey of humility and peace, but somehow he's going to bring an end to all war and extend his peace from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. So this is the kind of king Jesus is. Humble and riding on a donkey to his death. He doesn't kill his enemies. Rather, he lets his enemies kill him. And then, of course, through this humble death. He brings peace, shalom, to the earth and to the ends of the earth. So palm branches used to symbolize triumph through military victory and might. Now palm branches symbolize triumph through humble martyrdom. So if you look at religious art through the centuries, you often notice they're holding a palm branch. As Tertullian said in the second century, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's a different kind of conquering. So Jesus reinterprets our symbols. He reverses their meanings as he expresses his way of his kingdom, of the kingdom, right? So he says, the greatest in, in the kingdom are the humble childlike ones. In fact, Jesus states several times in the Gospels, all those, all, who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So talk about reversals. Our job is to humble ourselves. God's job is to exalt the humble. And when we mix those jobs up, God has to mix us up. I think uh, 
J.R. Tolkien expressed something of this in his stories, especially with the hobbits. Our family's been getting back in, into the story of the hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And you may know hobbits, they only grow to be three or four feet tall. They don't think much of themselves. They don't want to rule anyone. They don't like high places, so they build their homes in the ground. They just want to live quiet, simple, joyful lives with friends, family, and good food. And of course, in the story, you know, the four hobbits out with their friends to risk all to destroy this ring of power that's threatening the goodness of Middle Earth. They didn't do it in vain glory to be noticed, but for the good of Middle Earth, for the good of Hobbiton especially. And of course, they eventually succeed. And what happens? But the arrogant Sauron, who has exalted himself in this high tower, touching down at the end. And then after that, and when they're celebrating the victory, the, the king comes forth with hundreds of his people around him to greet these friends of his in victory. And in the movie, at least, the hobbits are about to bow down to Aragorn. But he says to them, my friends, you bow to no one. And he makes everyone bow down to them, not in worship, but in respect and honor. So in the end, the hobbits get the greatest honor in the story. So all who exalt themselves like Sauron will be humbled. And all who humble themselves like the hobbits will be exalted. And this surprising way and outcome of humility is not just for hobbits, it's for business people too. So former Stanford Business School professor and best-selling author Jim Collins, he spent four years with a 22-person research staff to find out what made companies change from merely good organizations to great ones. And specifically, what kind of leaders were behind this transformation to greatness? That's the title of one of his books, From Good to Great. Now, of course, it was written almost 20 years ago, but it's still noteworthy. He looked at 1,435 companies, ended up choosing only 11 truly great ones. And what he discovered was that the leaders of these companies possessed certain traits. They were certainly driven, but not for their own glory. They were driven, willing to make risky decisions, maybe like the hobbits, for the sake of their company, so that their organization would thrive. So what he and his research team noticed about these leaders was just incredible humility among these leaders. They displayed what he called the window and the mirror. So if a mistake happened, if something went wrong, they looked in the mirror and said, oh, it must have been my fault. If something went well, they looked out the window at their employees and said, man, I've got great people working for me. Or you know what? The wind was to our backs. So the pleasant surprise of this research is that the greatest business leaders are humble. And of course, this is even more true in the kingdom of God. On this day, we behold the leader and Lord of the church and the world, the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And today we behold him humble and riding on a donkey to his death in Jerusalem. This is put supremely in the poem of Philippians, 
who Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So all who humble themselves will be exalted is true, even for Jesus. Jesus humbled himself on a donkey and eventually on a cross, the deepest humility that ever was or will be. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place that will ever be and gave him the name that is above every name. There is no reversal in the history of the world greater or more wonderful than this one. And none has had greater or better influence in the history of the world than this. I heard this from my colleague this week, Joshua Chestnut, and it stuck with me. He said, every time you hear a siren, you are hearing the triumph of the gospel. He said, it's all too common in our world that those who have power take advantage of those who don't, that the strong conquer the weak and then the weak end up serving the strong. There are, are way too many pyramids in our world that testify to this. But the good news of the cross of Jesus is that all this is reversed with him. In the gospel, the strong serve the weak. The strong son of God came not to be served, he said, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. So in the, in the early centuries, those who followed Jesus learned learned this from Jesus and tried to imitate this from Jesus. And of course, they were the ones who took the babies from the trash heaps. They were the ones caring and bringing into their homes the weak and the vulnerable. And throughout the centuries, Christians would continue to do this kind of thing as they would take in the spiritually and physically sick and wounded and weak. And this Christian practice is one of the main roots and inspirations of our medical system. If you look at history, our medical system, while not perfect, still on the whole, it's the powerful serving the weak. Those with powerful technology and skills and experience serving the weak and the sick and the vulnerable that we're seeing today. So I think it's maybe common for a lot of people to think, oh man, that's of course how it should be. And isn't that how it's always been? But no, that isn't how it's always been. That's not how it always is. <laughs> Where did that idea come from, right? It came from the way of Jesus, really. It's a fruit and triumph of the gospel in the earth, in history on the earth. So every siren, every hospital, every medical care worker on the front lines of this pandemic is a triumph of the gospel. Of reversals. And every time someone opens their heart to Jesus, he comes into their inner Jerusalem with his kingdom of reversals to heal what is sick, to make saints out of sinners, to bring life out of death. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, humble and mounted on a donkey, riding to your death. And from that place, come 
share with us your kingdom, your kingdom of reversals, of humility and peace. Come and bring that into our hearts and into our two communities. And yes, Lord, to the ends of the earth. May it be so. Amen.